Hello and welcome to the latest episode of our Private Wealth and Charities podcast series. This is the first in a series of podcasts looking at the HSF Trust Companies survey. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing the results of an extensive survey of trust companies that we recently conducted. My name is Richard Norwich and I'm a partner at Herbert Smith Freehills in London and I specialise in private wealth, trust disputes and charities matters. And today I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by two colleagues, Will Turner and Julia Bahari. Will's a senior associate, Julia is an associate and they're both part of our private wealth and charities teams and uh, sit within the disputes group. So let's kick off by giving you a bit more background on the HSF Trust Company survey. We asked trust companies about the most significant risk and compliance issues they face. We reached out to trust companies of different sizes, spread across a variety of onshore and offshore jurisdictions, and a wide range of trust company ownership structures, and asked them to rank and explore seven key risks faced by trust companies today. The survey ran between November 2019 and January 2020. And through this podcast series and over the coming weeks, we'll be releasing the results of this survey and we'll be counting down from seven to one the most significant risks that trust companies face. In broad terms, we will cover topics such as AML, anti-money laundering, uh, beneficiary disputes, cybersecurity, data protection, regulatory compliance, reputational risks and tax compliance. And we will identify how significant a risk each of these is perceived to be by trust professionals. Now, of course, the one thing we did not ask people was the risk posed by major public health incidents. And coronavirus is sadly now the biggest threat to countless businesses around the world. It feels like that archetypal black swan, you know, those life-changing outliers which seemingly almost no one saw coming. And although it's interesting to read, for example, in the UK's National Risk Register of 2017, this, this warning of a pandemic and wide-ranging health and economic impacts, the extent of the lockdowns around the world and the impact that they've had has been unanticipated. So what impact does that have on our survey and its results? Do they remain relevant? Well, the ramifications of this will be felt for some time and and may well change some of the ways that we work. But even now, it seems so quite early in this crisis, various businesses across the globe, and, and of course, by no means all, are putting in place their business continuity plans and they're they're finding ways of carrying on. Now, I've contacted a number of people at trust companies over the last few days and weeks, and the consistent message that I've heard is that things are busy. Now, they may not be able to travel the world, but their business is adapting and going on. And it does seem that the themes of the survey remain as relevant as ever. Uh, As one person commented to me, regulatory change has not stopped. Given the predicted length of the impact of the virus, some things have to continue to the extent they can. All aspects of life and business can't simply go on hold. So without in any way wishing to downplay the significance of current events, uh, this is the introduction to our survey. We hope this podcast series will provide thought-provoking content which will be equally helpful for trust companies trying to navigate the increasingly complex and regulated risk and compliance landscape and others operating in the private wealth and trust industries with insights into the major issues trust companies are facing. So with that intro, Will, what's today's topic? Thanks, Richard. Today, we're going to be talking about risk number seven, beneficiary disputes, which our respondents have identified as being the least pressing in relation to trust companies. But of course, it does still remain worthy of discussion. When we use the phrase beneficiary disputes, what we have in mind are disputes that arise between the trustee and one or more of the beneficiaries of a trust. 
In this episode, we'll be discussing the circumstances in which beneficiary disputes may arise and what trustees might be able to do in practice to prevent conflicts between beneficiaries from escalating to the level of dispute between the trustee and the beneficiaries. Julia is going to discuss the reasons our respondents identified as to why these disputes arise. Thanks, Will. We received a variety of responses for what trust professionals perceived as the primary sources of beneficiary disputes. A small minority of around 4% of the respondents considered difficulties caused by office holders such as protectors and advisory boards to be the reason. Another small proportion of around 10% of the respondents considered the failure by the settlor to communicate the purpose and function of the trust structure to be the main issue, while a similar proportion of respondents identified fee disputes between trustees and beneficiaries as the primary source of beneficiary disputes. A slightly larger number, 12% of the respondents, concluded that the breakdown of the relationship between the trustee and the beneficiaries was the key source of beneficiary disputes. However, there was a very clear winner in this category. An overwhelming 64% of respondents thought that the principal source of beneficiary disputes was disharmony amongst the beneficiary group. However, if we analyse the results by type of trust company, an interesting picture emerges. Will, would you want to take us through how the responses we received varied based on the size and ownership structures of our respondents? Sure, of course. Um, As Julia mentioned, 64% of all respondents thought that the disharmony among the beneficiary group was the main reason for beneficiary disputes. While the responses from medium-sized trust companies, and there we're talking about those with 25 to 200 employees, reflected the responses of the whole respondent pool, i.e. 64-65%, only 34% of smaller trust companies, i.e. those with fewer than 25 employees, identified this as the most common source of beneficiary disputes. On the other hand, the numbers were skewed in the other direction for large trust companies, those with over 200 employees. In that category, 91% of respondents identified disharmony among beneficiaries as the key cause of beneficiary disputes. This seems to suggest that large international trust companies are more often faced with disharmony among the beneficiary group. This is probably owing to the size and the number of beneficiaries itself. Even in the context of ownership structures, the data revealed some interesting results. 69% of bank-owned trust companies and 55% of independent trust companies agreed that disharmony among the beneficiary group was the main reason for the occurrence of beneficiary disputes. This is in contrast to responses from private equity or professional services-owned trust companies, 80% of which did not consider this to be a key reason for beneficiary disputes. There could be a number of explanations for these results, and maybe those can be the subject of a discussion in the future. But in our context, the key takeaway from the results of this survey seems to be that this disharmony amongst the beneficiary group is a significant issue faced by trust companies of all sizes and structures. Given these results, it would be interesting to understand the position that trustees and trust companies hold in relation to disputes arising out of a conflict among the beneficiary group. Richard, would you like to talk about that? Yeah, thanks, Will. It's unfortunately common how often issues between the beneficiary group end up turning into disputes between the trustee and the beneficiaries. In a lot of cases, action brought by beneficiaries against trustees manifest themselves as either claims for breach of trust or breach of fiduciary duties. Sometimes these claims obviously arise out of genuine dissatisfaction on the beneficiary's part about the performance of the trustee's duties or the management of the trust. However, in other instances, beneficiary disputes can be a result of beneficiary group disharmony. 
for example, within different factions of a family. In this situation, the trustee can get caught in the middle of internal family struggles regarding how the trust should be administered, and it might be sued by a dissatisfied faction as a result. Or, of course, it it may almost have nothing to do with the trust at all. There might be other disputes going on within the family, which then just manifest themselves within the trust context. And it might be that the trustee is sued because there's no actionable legal claim against other family members, or maybe because it's more palatable to sue a third-party trustee than a member of your own family. Now, in, in all such cases, to avoid the escalation of a conflict between the beneficiaries, a tr- trustee obviously can take certain preventative measures. One option a trustee may consider when dealing with disharmony within the beneficiary group is whether it might be helpful for the trustee to try, in some sense, to mediate the conflict between the beneficiaries and try to settle some of the disagreements. This can prevent the dispute from escalating into one between the trustee itself and the beneficiaries. However, this is, of course, by no means straightforward. There's an obvious danger in the trustee getting involved in the squabbles of beneficiaries, as this could lead to allegations of meddling, partiality, or ultimately breach of fiduciary duties by a disgruntled beneficiary. If such issues arise and are not resolved, they can lead to relationship breakdown between the trustee and the beneficiary group, and even expensive litigation as a result of the trustee having placed itself in the line of fire, so to speak. However, if the trustee does not make any attempt to resolve the dispute between the beneficiaries, the trust could become increasingly difficult to administer as a result of this ongoing animosity. Further, if the dispute remains unresolved, the trustee may in any event end up being sued by a disgruntled beneficiary or beneficiary group. Thus, there are are a number of considerations to factor in for trustees when deciding whether and if so how to intervene in a dispute amongst beneficiaries. Now, Julia, can you run us through other possible reasons why trustees might be hesitant to get too involved in disputes between beneficiaries? Yes, of course, Richard. So in practice, we've seen a number of reasons why trustees might be reticent to get caught up in issues between beneficiaries. First of these is to do with the impartiality of the trustee. As one would expect, the more involved the trustee gets in disputes between beneficiaries, the more difficult it might become for him or her to remain impartial. And of course, the more the trustee knows about the internal workings and politics of a beneficiary group, the more nuanced and complex decision to act in the best interest of the beneficiaries become. Plus, having an increasingly involved role in beneficiary disputes can also lead to increased liability for the trustee. Trust instruments often include anti-Bartlett clauses, which exclude the trustee's duty to inquire and supervise in relation to actions taken by a company in which the trust has a shareholding. However, such clauses might not prevent liability from arising if the trustee does in fact become aware of something that indicates that they should use their powers of intervention. Therefore, the danger is that if a trustee inserts themselves into the existing dispute between the beneficiaries, he or she might become aware of matters necessitating inquiry or supervision, which can negate the effect of an anti-Bartlett clause and increase the trustee's risk exposure. As a third point of caution, traditional forms of relief may become unavailable if a trustee gets too intertwined in the dispute between the beneficiaries. Trustees are normally entitled to seek a so-called better relief. This involves seeking court directions in relation to whether or not to bring, defend or continue proceedings and obtain costs protection. However, in a beneficiary dispute, trustees are often not entitled to better protection like they would be in relation to a third party dispute because the allegations made often involve breach of trust. 
Thus, a court would need to resolve the underlying dispute between the trustee and the beneficiaries before deciding whether or not it should approve the trustee's involvement in the litigation in question. The appropriate course in such cases is to resolve the underlying dispute rather than pursue a better application and therefore this form of relief may be denied to the trustee. The last point for trustees to consider in this context would be that of insurance. As trustees get increasingly involved in conflicts between beneficiaries, there is a greater likelihood of the trust company needing to consider the effect of its insurance policy in the event of a beneficiary dispute. In such a situation, it will become increasingly important for the trust company to maintain clear channels of communication and a good working relationship with its insurers, which may not always be easy to achieve if the trustee is too tangled in the beneficiary dispute. Well, are there any particular tactics that the respondents of the survey consider useful in practice when dealing with disharmony among beneficiaries? Thanks, Julia. Yeah, this is quite interesting because um, despite the considerations that you just discussed, it was clear that in order to avoid further escalation, trustees often prefer to get involved and take active steps to attempt to resolve conflicts within the beneficiary group. In fact, there was almost universal agreement that the key was to engage early and communicate effectively with the beneficiary group about the options to resolve the dispute in a frank and honest manner. Some feedback we received was from Grant Barber of Corian, for example. He explained that engaging positively and immediately with the beneficiary group was crucial and that trustees must explain how corrosive disputes between beneficiaries can be and how there is really no faster way to destroy a trust fund than engaging in costly litigation. In practice, we have also seen the importance of trustees remaining impartial in their communications with beneficiaries and reminding the beneficiaries that the trustees' obligation is to act in the best interests of the beneficiaries at all times. Claire Usher Wilson of Summit also agreed with this interventionist approach. She said, and I quote here, that as trustees, we get very involved in beneficiary disputes and we think there is a solution to every dispute, but these are often require thinking creatively and outside the box. Over the years, we've seen a number of tactics being used in order to manage disputes between beneficiaries. For instance, in a situation where some beneficiaries are represented on a private trust company's board and others are not, it might be worth encouraging the represented beneficiaries to resign. This would allow the trustees to carry out their role without the suggestion that the represented beneficiary faction has larger influence than those that are not represented. Similarly, making sure there is adequate representation of the interests of all of the beneficiaries is another way in which trustees can manage conflicts between beneficiaries. For instance, where there's a breakdown in the relationship within a family council of beneficiaries with a particular individual, the trustees may wish to consider appointing a neutral third party to represent that individual on the family council. This can help restore the functionality of that forum and reopen effective communication channels with the entirety of the beneficiary group. That's a great point, Will. In fact, in the context of family trust, we've seen that it's also helpful to respect the existing family dynamics and the natural order of the family wherever that's possible. So, for example, if parents have particular wishes or restrictions on how the trustees should be allowed to communicate with the beneficiary children, the trustees should be sensitive to those requests, even if the parents themselves may not be beneficiaries. In practice, this may manifest as an agreement, whether a formal memorandum of understanding or a more informal option, with the parents on the method and frequency of communication with the beneficiary children. At the same time, it's also necessary to take a pragmatic approach and trustees should be open to the idea of splitting the trust fund, for example, if it seems that certain members of the beneficiary group will never be able to see eye to eye on matters. This will give the beneficiary group greater flexibility and influence over decisions.
If I can just add something to what Julia and Will have just been saying, trustees should also consider recommending mediation to resolve a dispute within the beneficiary group. As with any formal dispute resolution mechanism, the advantage is that if a middle ground is found, the beneficiaries are likely to respect a more formal resolution arrangement. However, as I mentioned previously, there are a few factors to keep in mind before recommending mediation. Since mediations are a formal procedure, they might encourage different factions to lawyer up and crystallise or entrench their position more than a less formal dispute resolution mechanism might. Further, even though mediation is almost always cheaper than litigation, it's not without cost, which will likely be paid from the trust fund. So that would also be something to consider before trying to go in for mediation. Trustees might also wish to consider engaging external consultants to negotiate a de-escalation amongst the family members. This may be a way to avoid the trustee getting personally involved in the conflict situation, but the benefits would need to be weighed against the fact that appointing an external consultant might reduce the trustee's ability to effectively control and monitor the situation. So given what we've discussed, I think the key takeaway is probably that good and early communication is crucial for trustees in managing beneficiary disputes. In fact, this may also become an area in which trust companies may consider investing resources to upskill trust professionals' communication and mediation skills to effectively deal with conflicts and disharmony amongst beneficiaries without feeding existing fires. On that note, we conclude today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, We hope you found the podcast of interest. If you would like more information about trust charities and private wealth and our views on some interesting recent cases from this sphere, please do head over to the HSF Private Wealth and Trust Disputes blog by following the link in the podcast notes. If you're interested in the types of matters our private wealth and charities practice may be able to assist you with, please also follow another link in the podcast notes. And we'll be back soon with further private wealth and charities podcasts and the second instalment of our HSF Trust Companies Survey series, in which we'll be discussing the next most significant risk.